Yo, we are ending our Physician Leadership Week talking about virtual care, the challenges, what the future looks like with the one and only former CMA president, Dr. Gigi Osler. Welcome to Solving Healthcare. I'm Quadro Caramante. I'm an ICU and palliative care physician here in Ottawa and the founder of Resource Optimization Network. We are on a mission to transform healthcare in Canada. I'm going to talk with physicians, nurses, administrators, patients, and their families because inefficiencies, overwork, and overcrowding affects us all. I believe it's time for a better healthcare system that's more cost-effective, dignified, and just for everyone involved. Welcome back, everybody. As I said, this is the tail end of our Physician Leadership Week. We had our previous episodes with Mumta Ghanem and Phil Wells, and we're ending it with the one and only Gigi Osler. Guys, we're approaching a year on the show. It's crazy. We've been producing a lot of content, and we would just love to hear back from you. What have you enjoyed? What have you learned? What do you want to hear more of? You know, leave a comment at quadcast99 at gmail.com. We really want to get a sense of what you want and what pushes you, what really lures you to the show, because we want to keep hustling. We want to keep producing that awesome content, because I got to say, when you look back at a year, we have covered a lot, son. So yeah, it'd be great to hear from you guys. And to support the show, guys, it would be great if you could leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts as well as a review. All this helps with our visibility and reaching out to more people because you know what we're trying to do. We're trying to change that boogie. Changing the boogie. Last thing, last housekeeping thing. If you haven't looked into our Low Carb Summit, it was amazing with Ivor Cummins, with Joy Kitty, with Dr. Paul Mason, and uh, the feedback has been incredible. For $29.95, you'll get knowledge dropped on you in terms of the low carbon keto space. And once again, guys, we are on a mission of just trying to get y'all healthier. I can't reinforce this enough how it's clear that poor metabolic health is a huge risk factor for when it comes to COVID-19. So let's preach this. Let's get healthier. This is just one tool in the arsenal. You can go to solvinghealthcare.ca backslash low carb and hit it up. Okay. Let me tell you about our guest today, Dr. Gigi Osler. She is a former president of the Canadian Medical Association. She is an ear, nose, and throat specialist at St. Boniface Hospital in Winnipeg. She's a leader. She is an innovator. And she led a task force when it came to discussing the barriers of virtual care. So, I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic and Virtual care has come to the forefront, which has been great. One of our first shows, episode four with Dwayne Hickling, was talking about this content. And I just think it's such a great tool for people to be able to get great access to docs. So, but there are barriers, you know, and, and so she created this task force and basically trying to provide sustainable, standardized, and safe and effective remote care from patients all across the country. You know, imagine being able to see the best ear, nose, and throat specialist in the country based on a, a very specific problem. Eliminating those barriers and creating it a safe way to be able to connect to the best of the best. I, I think it's brilliant. So yeah, let's jump on it. Keep in mind, this interview was done pre-COVID. I think it was done in February. Same concepts apply. And without further ado, let's do this. Dr. Gigi Osler, welcome to the podcast. 
Thanks for having me on, Dr. Chermatang. Oh my goodness. My mom would be so proud of that pronunciation. I've never bust this out on the show, but the proper pronunciation, like if you were in Ghana, is Chermatang, like you just threw down. So I really appreciate that, Gigi. Welcome to the show. This is really awesome to finally meet you. And this setting, we're in the offices in the CMA building over in basically, uh, it feels like Prussia, how long it took to get up. <laughs> <laughs> So, former CMA president. Correct. Doing wonderful things, including joining task force on virtual care. Tell me, why did you want to be part of this? As a medical professional, you have had conversations, I'm sure, with colleagues about innovation in healthcare mm -hmm. and where we need to go as Canadians and how can we as medical professionals help move not only the discussion forward, but how can we actually create change? So, about a year ago, the Royal College Physicians and Surgeons of Canada, College of Family Physicians of Canada, and CMA got together and formed a working group or a task force, so the Virtual Care Task Force, to recognize and identify the barriers to more widespread adoption of virtual care across Canada and to come up with recommendations to enable a pan-Canadian approach to virtual care within our publicly funded healthcare system. Wonderful. Wonderful. And maybe even just we should take a step back just to be as clear as possible. When we talk virtual care, what does that mean to you? The definition that we're using for virtual care is any care between a patient and their healthcare provider that's delivered remotely. Mm -hmm. So the definition was kept as broad as possible. When you talk about virtual care, a lot of times people think of telemedicine, mm -hmm. where you have fixed points, remote, and usually in a hospital, where care is delivered virtually. By keeping the definition broad, by keeping the definition of virtual care broad, it allows our thinking and innovation to also be broad, to think of virtual care being delivered by virtual visits or maybe secure messaging back and forth, or even email communications between a patient and their healthcare team under that broad spectrum would be considered virtual care. Excellent. Excellent. And a lot of my listeners appreciate how important I think this is because one of the key elements to this is increasing accessibility to good care, like being able to see that expert consultant, not having to travel, you know, six hours via plane to be able to see the specialist of your choice. Like it's such an important issue. And maybe, Gigi, can you speak to where the landscape is in Canada right now? Because like certainly in Ontario, it seems like there's more and more initiative to be able to do these virtual visits or mm -hmm. virtual care. Um, but I, I, honestly, I don't know what it's like in, for example, Nova Scotia or other parts of the, of the country. Do you have a sense of where we are at in other locations? You've hit the nail on the head. So virtual care is here in varying forms across the country. A lot of times it's siloed. And so it's being done in Ontario, for example, with the Ontario Telemedicine Network. As a physician myself in ENT Surgeon in Manitoba, I might not know what exactly is being done in Ontario through the Telemedicine Network. Part of our goal is to have a pan-Canadian approach, breaking down some of those silos mm -hmm. and to really find solutions and strategies that can be scalable across the country so that we can really deliver on that promise of equitable access to healthcare for Canadians. Mm -hmm. You were asking about what's the landscape right now. Patients want timely access to their care. 
So there is a demand for timely, efficient, effective, safe access, and virtual care could deliver on that. Secondly, the technology is here as well. So firstly, patient demand is here. Secondly, the technology is here. It's available, it's accessible, but at present in the Canadian healthcare system, the majority of it is used in the private healthcare sector. And finally, this report is done by medical professionals. So the three groups I already mentioned, and we had input from multiple different stakeholders. So Resident Doctors of Canada, CMPA, Federation of Medical Regulatory Authorities of Canada, Association of Faculties of Medical Colleges of Canada, AFMC, Mm -hmm. along with several others. So it's a report where we've been able to have input from all the major stakeholders to come up with the recommendations from the medical professionals. And most importantly, we had patient representation. So we had folks at the table who were representing patients, families, and caregivers, uh, because they're often the under-consulted group when it comes to developing and delivering innovative new solutions. Mm -hmm. And I mean, to be honest with you, it's all about them. Like this is Mm -hmm. about how we could provide better care for them. Mm -hmm. So many questions. So what were some of the key takeaways from these meetings or this task force? We came up with a series of five recommendations. So the task force had four different working groups and the working groups were on interoperability and governance, licensure and quality of care, payment models and medical education. And there are common themes throughout each of the groups, and each of the groups wanted to ensure that regardless of the way the care was delivered virtually, it would be of the same standards, quality, safety, privacy as an in-person visit, recognizing that perhaps not every type of patient visit could be done virtually. Mm -hmm. But of the five recommendations, uh, maybe I'll highlight three of the recommendations for you. The first is for a framework to ensure the safety and quality of virtual care services. Because right now there really isn't any national standard or national framework. And so that's important, I think, to design and have in place as the technology advances and spreads. Mm -hmm. Second recommendation I'll highlight for you, national standards for patient health information access. You've got different patient portables and sometimes multiple different patient portals within the same jurisdiction, Um, You've got provinces like Alberta, which has a province-wide patient portal, but there's no standards just in terms of access, privacy, security, interconnectivity. And that's what patients want. I mean, we all want to have a single medical record that we can access as patients from anywhere across the country. Uh, You want to make sure it's secure and you want to make sure the people you want to have access to it get access to it. Mm -hmm. The final of the recommendations that I'll highlight, and keep in mind there's five, this is the third, is national licensure for physicians so that we as physicians can provide virtual care across provincial and territorial boundaries. And that's something that I'm happy to report on is in the works and has made significant progress over the last year. Yeah. So to be clear, if you are a physician in Manitoba and you want to be able to address a patient in Ontario... Right now, your license does not allow that or is not consistent with that practice. And some provinces have a specific telemedicine license. Some provinces may have agreements or, you know, some sort of framework, but it's certainly not consistent across the country. And uh, we have underserviced 
areas within our provinces and territories, which really would benefit, their patients would benefit from reduced or streamlined process Mm -hmm. for physicians to get licensed in that province and uh, some national form of licensure to allow for virtual care across boundaries. Yeah. I mean, if you think about some of the upside there, like, you know, someone in BC that's an expert in a specific kidney condition that's rare, that, you know, there's only a, a half a dozen cases in the country to be able to have that conversation with Dr. X. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's like you said, it's 2020. That technology exists. You know what I'm saying? The demand is there. Mm-hmm. I, I got to commend the CMA for at least trying to, and the task force to try and get on top of this. Because my biggest fear is always is when organizations come up with, you know, frameworks and so on that sometimes it could slow the process down, right? Mm -hmm. But what I'm hearing from you guys, that's not the purpose. You're happy to aid in the development of these models. And I think this is what's exciting. And thanks for the shout out. And really, the work was shared by not only the three chairing organizations, but all of the stakeholder organizations. We're also very excited because there's some momentum here and a commitment from the organizations, all who've been involved, to continue to move this forward. And so it's not a report that's dropping with recommendations and then being left for who knows who Mm -hmm. to continue to work on and implement and advocate for. And we do want to acknowledge a lot of the good work that's being done out there by different groups, Ontario Telemedicine Network, Canada Health Infoway, Canadian Foundation for Healthcare Improvement. Let's work with, let's collaborate, let's leverage some of the work that's being done so that we can continue to move this forward and interact with our federal and provincial governments to make some of these recommendations a reality. Mm -hmm. Um, Because the truth is, if we don't do this, Right now, within our publicly funded healthcare system, these services are here in the private sector. Mm-hmm. And if we don't innovate our public health system, that gap's only going to widen between those who can access it, afford it, and know how to use it versus the Canadians who can't afford it, can't access, and don't know how to use it. And so we will see more inequity and we'll see more of a gap if we don't have these conversations and start investing in technology, in virtual care, in the Canadian system. Absolutely. And you think of the purpose of having these virtual clinics, virtual uh, care is to improve that accessibility, improve the equity. There's so much upside too. Like if you think about some of the common problems that we're seeing in Canadian healthcare, it's questions around wait times. It's around getting that access to that specialist. Mm -hmm. And these things these measures are what's actually going to reduce wait times. You know, like if I know that I could have a five minute visit, for example, on my tablet with my doc and, you know, that saves me from having to find parking. It saves me from doing all this uh, travel, taking time away from work. Maybe my daughter needs to help me to be able to get to the clinic. Like it's just so much more efficient. And whatever we need to do, honestly, to make this happen is to me is a priority. And you touched on something important there, and I'm not even sure if you realized you touched on it. You were talking about care with your doctor or care with your daughter's doctor. To make this efficient, to make this really deliver on better health care for Canadians, we also looked at virtual care should 
be a continuity of care with the primary health care provider, not episodic. Yeah, that's a good point. Which is a little bit of what we see right now with some of the private health care services. It, it's episodic. It's not with the person's primary care physician. And so to really deliver on the promise of better, timely, effective, safe, efficient health care, we believe it should promote that continuity of care and not be episodic. Yeah, fair enough. In your experience or exposure with the task force, you mentioned like some groups that are doing this well, like whether it's Ontario Telehealth or whatnot. Like what is it about some of these organizations or groups that have shown signs of success? Well, we've talked about Ontario. And so with the uh, help of the OMA and the Ontario Telemedicine Network, they've been able to negotiate fee schedule. So that a virtual visit pays the same as an in-care visit. Revenue neutral. We do want to ensure that there are standards in place, that there are guidelines in place, the policies are in place so that virtual care can deliver mm-hmm. um, on all of those provinces and, and not be seen, particularly by governments, as an extra expense on top of the public health care system. For physicians, it's a lot about making our practices more efficient. Mm -hmm. And so that's where some of the hard work needs to come into place. And, uh, you know, for example, the Northwest Territories, we want to look at another example as a territory. They've got a single medical record for each person that lives there that's accessible at all of the different communities, healthcare centers, hospitals. So they are an example where they have been able to implement that for all of the citizens in that territory. Multiple examples of what's being done well. Uh, We just have to identify what works. Can it be scaled? And do we have the standards and the policies and the legislation and a framework in place to ensure that the care that's delivered virtually is equal to the care that would be delivered in person? Okay, Gigi, I should ask, like I can speak for my family members or the people I know, they would love to have that more access to virtual care. But is there, a, is there numbers out there or anything that we know about amongst Canadians that say they would want it or even amongst us Canadian docs that we would be willing to provide virtual care? Is there anything out there to kind of reinforce that? From the docs that I've spoken to and the doctors that I know, we all want our practices to be as efficient as possible. We want our patients to have timely access to care. And some surveys were done over the last year that I've seen over 70% of Canadians would take advantage of a virtual healthcare visit if they could do it. But less than 10%, maybe I think it's around 9% of doctor's offices are even able to book appointments online. Wow. Only but a quarter of doctor's offices are able to email their patients. And so when we're talking about virtual care, a lot of times people just think about virtual healthcare visits. So Skyping or FaceTiming mm-hmm. your physician. But it could be as simple as secure messaging your patients with their test results. It could be as simple as online booking. Could be as simple as being able to email your patient an answer to their healthcare question. And so we continue to look at these recommendations and we are going to be working. And this is one thing I can promise CMA, Royal College, CFPC, looking at ways to take these recommendations and move them forward. So that's our discussion about the next step. 
and working with our health authorities, provincial governments, and the federal government to make these recommendations a reality. Brilliant. I love it, Gigi. Making it a reality. i got to thank you for taking the time to do this interview and, and commend you once again for the efforts that you and the organizations are making to make this a reality for Canadians because it really needs to come and it needs to come in a safe way. It needs to come in a secure way where, you know, we're not jeopardizing care. We're not jeopardizing privacy. We're, we're just enhancing. Mm -hmm. And so I really want to commend you for, for uh, taking such a big part of this all. And yeah, thanks for doing the show. Thanks for having me on. Thank you everyone for listening to the Qualcast. Tell me we ain't kicking it. Sup? Want to give a quick shout out to Mark Holmes, edited this bad boy. He's one of our new team members, been killing it. I want to give some love to our first black student in our mentorship program, Quadro. You've been doing some great work, busting out the posts on social media, loving it. Love our social media team, show no team. Y'all are representing hard. If y'all want to leave any comments, throw down at quadcast99 at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube at quadcast. Listen. I just want to appreciate all the positive feedback and y- y'all reaching out and we're going to continue to hustle guys. So thank you so much. And we'll connect again real soon. Peace.